Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 7, incidental episode. Michael D'Alessio. This is our incidental episode on a Tuesday. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. This is Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. I have my cup of tea. I'm ready to go. Um, like I say, an incidental episode is where we drop in outside of our usual Wednesday and Sunday broadcasts and bring you some special episodes. We've got two this evening, as it happens. Uh, later on this evening, we're going to be talking to uh, the uh, president of GalaxyCon. Uh, so we're going to be talking about how they're bringing the virtual con to attendees in the light of this terrible situation we're in, this uh, pandemic which is worldwide and affecting um, everyone of every stratosphere, um, including convention fans and pop culture fans alike. Um, it's gonna be an interesting show. Do join us, that's gonna be in about three hours time, so do join us for that. However, like I say, we've got ourselves a very special guest on today's show, considering that this man, I have been trying to get on this show for literally years, yeah. literally years. Um, this is Michael D'Alesso. Hello, Michael. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. Is it Michael or Mike? How good it was. Who are you most comfortable with? Mike. <laughs> Mike, it's a pleasure to have you along. Um, I mean, I've just introduced myself briefly. Uh, if you could introduce. Okay. Everybody who goes to San Diego Comic Con will know who you are. Perhaps there are one or two people that don't. <laughs> Michael, Mike, introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Sure. I'm Mike D'Alessio. I'm the president of uh, Promo360 Group. We are the marketing agency for quite a few of the booths at uh, San Diego, New York Comic Con, C2E2, all the rest of them. You know, we, we do them all, uh, Emerald City, etc. Um, you mostly know me because I've been with Marvel uh, doing their booths for the last 14 years, I think. 14, wow. 15, something like that. Um, let's put it this way. Since before Iron Man 1. Uh, mm -hmm. I uh, and I was with them in the 90s as well at another agency that I didn't own. But I own this company now uh, for the last 18 years. Um, we design and build their booths for Marvel, Boom, Studios, Sideshow, Alex Ross Art. Uh, yeah, we've done a, quite a few uh, 2K games in the past for many years. So we've done quite a few. You see, that I didn't know. I, did, I mean, I knew that you did a number of the booths, but I didn't know some of the other, like the showcase booths. I didn't know you did. I did, certainly didn't know you did Alex, Alex Ross, for example. Yeah, we did the... So, we actually took Alex Ross over last year uh, and we rebranded it for them last year. We did, we started with uh, Star Wars Celebration for them and then we did San Diego and New York for them and we're doing them moving forward. Um, and we tried to create a museum style look for Alex Ross. Um, and it's funny because we just know them as our buddies because they're across the aisle from us at most shows. So it's always like, hey, can I borrow a vacuum? Sure, I got one, Chris, no problem. Or, hey, Chris, <laughs> Alex Ross piece back there. Uh, Wonder Woman versus Cheetah. Can I get a good price on that? Um, so, you know, I, we became friends. Then finally, we decided after all these years to do some business together. That's so cool. I mean, it's great that, uh, I mean, like I say, people know you from the Marvel booth because I think several people may just think that you, well, just think that you are 
kind of like the ringmaster on stage spurring up that energy and you do bring so much energy to that uh, stage yeah. um but you are very much also the 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 marshal of this the 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 team that's on that uh, booth and like you say you're also the, the the person behind the company that actually puts that booth together it is a booth which has evolved um certainly since i uh, started going 2010 i'm a relative oh, you started with four when we did yeah uh, yeah yeah, I mean, I I'm, I recognize I'm a relative noob to all of this, um, right. especially considering the long history of, uh, of the convention, but certainly the way that the show has ramped up. And certainly from 2010, it just went off into a whole other stratosphere. Um, and everything. Sorry? Oh, absolutely. Change everything. Uh, I mean, how has that reflected in the way that you've had to design the booth, considering the amount of attention and the amount of bodies that have to that swarm that booth uh, each and every year. I mean, I can imagine that the logistics of certainly when you've seen like the signing tables, that seems like such a, a hard plate, hard thing to get into that space. Uh, just to design it must uh, take quite some effort. Well, in the beginning, when we started this back in 2006 with them or whatever it was, um, it was a one level booth. And by levels, I mean, we have frame systems that we build a booth out of. So it was one level high. We had no stage. We brought a stage in on day two because we needed a stage. Uh, we, so we we're only eight feet tall. And we had an eight inch stage uh, and we had a ton of banners hanging from the ceiling. And, you know, we brought Robert Downey Jr. in. And we showcased Mark One armor. Um, and, you know, it was... Um, it, it was something that I didn't design. I was asked to come in and do, and then I changed a lot of it on the sh on the fly at the show. We came up with Marvel. We worked very closely with them as an extension of their team, and we came up with the idea of this Tony Stark Industries crate that then split apart, and inside was a reveal. First time ever seen anywhere of the Mark I armor for Iron Man. And then we had um, Robert come sign, and we had um, John Favreau sign, and and we didn't anticipate anything with crowds <laughs> robert and john because remember iron man was like a c-level character we weren't sure as our first foray going out into this when i say we i always think of myself whichever client i'm working with i think of us as we um sure. so we're talking about marvel um and it was marvel's first foray going out and we weren't sure we literally gave out you know, like the, the raffle tickets, that's what we gave out to people. To, oh, you want a ticket to meet Robert Downey and get a poster sign? Go right ahead. Um, so from what that is to now the infamous phrase that I know your wife knows very well, um, which is, look down, people. If you can see red, you're good. If you see gray, you've got to keep walking. <laughs> people don't leave. When they know we have a signing on the stage, they crowd the aisles so much and do not leave five or six hours during 2014 we had uh, age of ultron cast signing which was i mean just <laughs> insane um we had people pass out in the aisleways i had comic-con calling me while i'm on stage going you have two people passed out on the floor and it was during the signing what are you supposed to do like you know that's our job to corral that and we we did it um, and what you have to do is you don't do it on the fly. You do this months in advance. Sure. We, we talk about traffic flow in a 50 foot by 70 foot booth in January for a 
July show. We, we sit there and try to figure out which way you're going to enter, how long you're going to stay, and how long you need to leave. It's really thinking, I'm trying not to sneeze. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have COVID. <laughs> don't worry about it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Can I just show you? I wore my Tower of London shirt for you. Oh, thank you so much. I went to England for the first time this year, so. I know I, you did, yeah. Yeah, and I am. Before, I, you know, the world fell apart. Well, but I'm in love with the country, and I want to move there. So um, I think now that Harry's gone, there's room for a new queen. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, but so we start planning this, and we really follow the Disney way of thought, of line control of how many people can go through, how do we get the ADA through, you know, uh, how do we get, which are disabled people, how sure. do we get the aisles clear so that we don't have the fire marshals coming and shutting us down. It's, it's a lot. It's almost like algorithms to figure this yeah. out. Uh, I mean, how long, I mean, the, the, the current design of the, the booth when you have the uh, the merch tower uh, and also the, the uh, multimedia, the kind of like the interview tower, um, if you're facing the, uh, the the booth on the right-hand side and then you've got your uh, the stage directly ahead, you have the uh, signing uh, booth on the left. And all of the, the, the ways that the, the like you say, the, the mechanics of putting that booth together. I mean, when did it kind of click to put this design together for this particular, uh, for the amount of people that Comic-Con currently has? It's a little bit of a story. Yeah. So, um, it's 2011, we did the uh, helicarrier from Avengers 1. So I literally went to Albuquerque. We're, beco we're coming back to that one, by the way. I went to Albuquerque, <laughs> and we looked, and, and you know, they were like, we, we want that at Comic-Con. And it was Nick Fury's podium with a big, expansive window. And originally, we were going to do LED panels in front of the window, so it looked like you're floating above New York. Every now and then, you see like a little Iron Man zip by kind of a deal. But the technology was very expensive back then to curve LED panels and to bring LED panels in at all. So we had it in the back of our head. So we didn't end up doing that. We did a different part of uh, the helicarrier instead. And we just kept tossing the LED thing around. So we ended up doing video monitors in 2013. Um, so NEC video monitors that like just a bunch of TVs put together that make a wall, but it was really labor intensive and really expensive. Um, but we loved what we could show. We could show a tremendous amount of video clips and, and comic book clips and we could do stuff on stage and blow it up on stage so everybody could see it like a jumbotron. And we did that for two years. We kind of didn't do much in 15. And then in 16, we came back with the LED wall. And uh, LED had come down in price and it made it cost effective. And it's not necessarily the price for purchasing the wall, which is astronomical. It's the labor, because you're working with unions. So it's the labor to put it up. And I know you have an international audience, but like you guys don't have unions over in Europe. We have unions here. So if you want to connect wire A to wire B, that's one union. You want to hang the LED panel, that's a different union. You want to turn it on and run something, that's a different union. So it's three people just to touch that for each panel. So it gets very expensive, but we Marvel really wanted to do it and we did it and it worked so well. I mean, at that point, I think you'll remember we had revolving stages involved in this as well, yeah. where we surprised the audience and we revolved it and the entire cast would come out, we change our props. So it really started evolving in 2013, but we started thinking about it in 2011. I mean, that's how far back we think. We're already thinking about what we're doing in the next three, four, five years. 
so well i mean i think also the, the when you introduced the video walls as well because it was also very much that time when uh the the amount of content that uh, marvel were bringing out not only for from their animation department uh, but also the, the the films, the the amount of uh, MCU uh, films that were coming out as well. People wanted to see that content. They wanted to see the the videos and they wanted to see the trailers of the films that were coming up. And you were people could flock to that Marvel booth and see uh, what was happening up on the uh, on the on the screens. you couldn't. We are in Hall C. That's the main doors entry into the center of the convention center. You got A and B on your on your left. And you got you know D, E, F, and then G, and then Hall H all the way down your right. And the difference is when you walk in through those doors and see it's a straight aisle right back to our video screen, and that's amazing to see that content. There's only like one other booth who really does something similar to that. It would be Lucasfilm with Star Wars, where they have their video screens floating. Yeah. Um, and we were always so jealous of that, and I wanted that, and we got it. <laughs> um, and we love Lucasfilm as well. They're part of the family. Um, and I've done Star Wars Celebration for them, so I, I definitely love them. Uh, but, you know, what's wonderful is the booth becomes a beacon at the entire show. So you have 200,000 people, you know, 135,000 on average in the show at any one time, but about 200,000 people if you include the initial vicinity of the convention center, and it goes out to 300,000 beyond that. But they'll all say, meet at the Marvel booth, or it's to the left of the Marvel booth, or it's to the right of the Marvel booth, because we are so well known, and we've been in that spot now for, this would have been our 14th year, our 14th yeah. year cons, being in that spot. Um, and uh, it's been phenomenal to try to make that work. It's a very much a, a hand-in-hand with the Marvel team. We, we take the lead from them. We take what they need from a marketing perspective. We go back to them and explain what their needs are for marketing. And let's say with any of their new releases or their comic releases or their merchandise or whatever, we turn around and make that happen. It's literally yeah. they direct us. And then we say, okay, let's put our design hat on. The same way you direct an artist, you're gonna, we're going to design it. And then Sean, my, uh, Sean McHugh works with me for seven years. Sean and I will sit down and design this whole thing. And then we have to figure out how to make it work because it looks good on paper. <laughs> well, can you yeah, I, I, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I want to talk about that um, kind of not the the, the full blown relationship details, but certainly how you got in uh, with uh, Marvel to or how they approached you, or did you approach them? But let's let's go a little bit further back because right. um, I mean, you've been uh, organizing conventions of your, of your own. You've been organizing all sorts of bits and pieces. If you people give a little bit of the background um, to your to your certainly also your own fandoms as well and what you're you're your own into. I mean, what what are the kind of things that catch your attention? Is it films, television, comics, or is it across the board? Across the board. But I learned yeah. to read by reading comics. So right. I have an older cousin, Rob, who is a comic aficionado. But like I'm talking in the '70s when he so he's 10 years older than me. So when he was like 15, he had thousands of comic books. And he knew I loved, I was like four years old, three years old probably, because I learned to read at three. I loved the Wonder Woman series, right? So I first run, because I'm old. Um, so I loved the Linda Carter Wonder Woman series. Um, and the he gave me Teen Titans books to read, as well as Wonder Woman oh, books wow. to read, because he thought that I would love the Teen Titans books. And I didn't get a lot of it. And my grandmother was a school teacher and she taught me to read them, but that solidified it. Between that and tying a hefty trash bag around my neck and running around, cutting triangles out of the back of it and thinking I was Batman at five nice. years old, off the second story of our house in the backyard. I mean, who 
who didn't see a piece of rope and think it was a magic lasso or take any stick and throw it and think it was a batarang? That's what I did. I mean, you had Shazam, you had Isis, you had Electra Woman and Dinah Girl, you had Superman, you had... I, well, I wasn't a huge Superman fan until Henry Cavill, but you have <laughs> you, well, you, 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 you and the missus, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, maybe, I don't know. I can't say what he likes. But um, so <laughs> I think that, um, you know, starting this at four, like three and four years old, like 75, 76, really solidified it. And I'm 47 now. So this has been this arc that has been permeable, uh, per permeable, permanent throughout my entire life has always been superheroes. So when I got the chance to work with them, why wouldn't I? I mean, it's a blessing. I went on this really, really, really bad date, a blind date, really bad date. I feigned having diarrhea to get out of the date in the middle of the date. That's how bad the date was, right? And, he, but the guy remembered what I did and he worked at a video company at 2K Games, a video game company. And he called me like three months later. He's like, look, I knew the date sucked, but I remember what you did and we have to do a convention, Gen Con, would you like to do Gen Con for us? Yeah. I was like, sure. So I started doing their Gen Con booths for them because I had done conventions for years. And then one of the games we ended up promoting um, at New York Comic Con year one was Rise of the Silver Surfer Fantastic Four that they did for the Fox movie. And while we're setting up, we had this really wild booth. It was awesome booth, the movie theater in it. And while we were setting up, this guy walks over and starts talking to me during Saturday. He goes, we've got this really great booth this year. It looks really good. What did we do? Who put this together? And I'm like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Marvel. I go, see that booth over there? That's yours. This is 2K Games. And he's like, well, who are you? And I said, well, I designed this and built this, and I'm running it. He goes, well, how do we get you to do that for us? And so I gave him my card, and he just kept talking to me the whole time. And some of you guys would know him. His name is John Dokes. He doesn't work at Marvel anymore. But John Dokes was the guy on stage before I took it over. Um, very tall, great looking black man, very charismatic, um, knew how to work a crowd. And I learned a lot from watching him and I use a lot of his jokes still, um, dad jokes as I call them. And he called me, he had his employee call me, uh, Mike Pichillo called me while I was on a plane about to have the door shut to go on vacation. And they said, um, would you like to do Comic-Con San Diego for us in a month? And I was like, sure, but I'm going on vacation. I'll call you when I come back. They said, if you want the job, you got to come in now. And I got off the plane, <laughs> went to New York, had the meeting, got the job, and then went on vacation that night. And, nice. Uh, and I've been with them since. And it, it's the biggest privilege of my career, uh, 27 years working, it's the biggest privilege of my career to work with Marvel because um, most companies don't keep you longer than a year or two years or three years as sure. an agent, especially I'm a small company. I mean, I'm when I got them, I was 10 people. We're five people now, full-time. We have a lot of part-time people that I hire over and over again, but we're five people. And for them to have that much faith in this little company from New Jersey, and now it's a little company in Florida, I mean, I, I, I bow to them. They're fantastic. I, I got to hang out with Stan Lee for two decades. You know, I mean, how much cooler is that? That is, I mean, number one, incredibly cool yeah uh, number two um i'm i'm liking the, the 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 stories you're telling about how you got it i mean we've got so this was make uh, number one he's going to use the excuse for his next bad date next bad date uh, it, it was bad. it was the day after bush lost uh, bush won the election the second election and he, and he just wanted to rail on him and i was <laughs> talk about anything other than politics <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I can imagine that would that's that's nothing new or nothing changed from the current situation. But that's that's for certain. Um, but it's also interesting to hear there is a small um, tight knit group that you've got um, certainly full time. When it comes to the actual um, show, I mean, you've got a, a fair number of bodies that you need to have on that booth to just make it work. What's the kind of like team numbers? I mean, how many bodies do you usually have uh, running on the booth? Twenty, depending on the show and what we're doing that year. Uh, most of them are actually every person who works for me for full time or part time is somebody I met at a show. I just realized yeah. that. Wow. It's somebody I met at a show. Um, but if you come up to me at a show, 99% of the time, I'm not going to be interested in I'm hiring you. I'm very particular because what I'll do is watch how you interact with other people while you're waiting to talk to me. And if I see you're looking impatient, you can't work for me. You can't yeah. be impatient because I mean, I had your wife at the booth once and she was upset over something. It was overwhelming amount of people and something. And I was in the middle of talking to somebody else, but I saw her in the back and she was patiently waiting. And I just excused myself and went over and gave her a hug because she was patiently waiting. Because she was literally respectful of the other person's time who I was talking with and my time. And I was like, I knew the conversation wasn't that important that I was having. Let me go over and, and console her and find out if there's anything I can do to help her. Because I don't know what yeah. she's talking about. Did somebody at the booth say something? Did a fan say something? Let me go over and talk to her. I look for people who want to be around people. I don't care if you can tell me that in Wolverine number 30 on page 22 in the bottom right corner that he wore blue. I don't care about that. <laughs> I care, do you know how to work with people? Can you be taught how to work with people? Do you understand that the minute the lights go on, you are representing the Marvel and Disney brand? And when you are walking to your hotel, you are representing the Marvel and Disney brand. And when you're eating, you are representing the Marvel and Disney brand. Because the minute you get on that plane to fly out to San Diego or to New York, you are a representative of that brand. I have been at a show, I live in South Florida. I went to a show, I never go to shows if I'm not working. It's it's just like it's a busman's holiday isn't it it's just yeah <laughs> you know so but i went to a show down here uh, i went to supercon and i brought my dog with me and i had my dog in my backpack and i just was like i got nothing else to do let me go walk around and see if i can support some fan uh, some artists so i'm online to buy my ticket which is just unusual that i have to buy a ticket but i had to buy a ticket and um i i'm online and i hear marvel's here Psst, i can't believe marvel's here Marvel's here. And I turn around, I'm like, oh, hell, we hired somebody else in their booth. And I turned around and I'm like, what do you mean Marvel's here? They're like, you, you're Marvel. I'm not wearing a Marvel shirt. I'm nowhere near San Diego or New York. And the people recognize me, which was nice. And, you know, I'm like, well, no, they're not here. I'm here, but I have swag in my backpack if you want. So <laughs> I always bring swag with me. I always have like pins or something to give to people. So. You never know when you're gonna find a kid who's upset and a pink can change his life and make him smile. So well, I mean, that's absolutely something that I I mean, I I I knew you um I think like I say, it was the, the year that you brought the helicarrier. And right. it was on pre on preview night, and I, I don't know if this was actually if this it was a line or if it was just something to keep her happy. Uh, but yes, Caroline was the first non-industry person to be have a photograph taken on the helicarrier according to yourself it's accurate i thought that was incredibly generous of you but i think also i mean when i then got to uh, know you and speak to you and see what you did on stage it was that attention to the crowd and to individuals it's very difficult to try and catch your attention 
on a Sunday, for example, because no, there is so the, the connection, the connection that you have with people is that you're trying to talk. The people catch my attention. I have to decide where to give the attention. Yeah. That's the problem because we're there as representatives of the brand. I'm very honored that, um, uh, oh, Leanne, I'm so glad I did. Thank you. That makes me feel very happy. Um, I'm so glad that um, we can represent the brand and represent the characters and the world that Marvel's created. Um, and I have to balance, and my team has to balance, and even the Marvel employees who are there have to balance of, can we socialize for a minute and say hi to a friend that we've met through these things? Or can we answer the questions of somebody who has a legitimate question about the booth? So I do hugs, fist bumps, elbow bumps, whatever, talk if I can, and then I move on to helping out, especially the ADA. We have, they, you can ask, they can ask a question that it seemed, might seem obvious to somebody else, but you have to break it down, lowest common denominator to get somehow for them to be able to figure out either what the answer is or how to get from point A to point B if they're a scooter. So it takes longer time. So yeah, Sundays are rough. Um, especially end of show after giveaway hour, that's rough. But um, I, I see everybody and I try to at least give a wink or a nudge or I'm gonna do the Carol Burnett tug on the ear in the future. Um, <laughs> let them know I see them and I'm, I'm just, there, there's a fan that I met at Megacon, um, Davion, and he uh, he's a, a really great cosplayer, older guy, maybe in his early 60s from New York. And I just met him, we clicked, socialized a couple of times, and um, he will walk by the booth at the back end of the booth, all the way at the aisle, and he'll pause. And it's almost like that scene in uh, The Dark Knight uh, Rises, where they see Alfred at the restaurant at the end, yeah. and just the tip of the hat, that's what he does. He'll, he'll tip his hat, or, or he'll smile, he'll make sure I caught his eye, and then, He'll keep going. Just, just keep going. World. Stuff like that. It's great because that gives you energy through the day. So, but the fans are the, there's no way around it. The Marvel fans are the best fans. They are literally the nicest people at the show. They're so sweet. They, they bring us drinks and candy and cards and they're sweet as all hell. Every single one of them. I can't, guys, I don't know who, whoever's listening. If you've never been to a show, go to a show because you're going to meet the nicest people at these shows. Everybody is super nice. And well, I mean, it is, just, it is such a positive vibe that you bring off uh, when it comes to Marvel. And that's the reason why people flock to the, the booth. Not only the, the special guests as well. Uh, I mean, if there's any uh, favorite memories of any of the, uh, the special guest interactions, I mean, certainly when it comes to, yeah, like you say, Robert Downey Jr., when he rocks up, I mean, he's a, a constant <laughs> rock star. Were you there in 2012 when we surprised everybody with Robert? Yeah, yeah. So, so for the people listening, uh, we have the Hall of Armor. So in, in Tony Stark's basement, he has all the suits in this you know curved Hall of Armor. Uh, and we had all these seven suits up, and then we brought out the Mark 42 overnight, Friday into Saturday. We had to take the whole stage down, bring it up, because we had a revolving base, and it's the Mark 42, so it starts revolving. So I was like, ooh, this is exciting. So Jesse Falcon, who... Uh, who works for Disney and Marvel and hosts some stuff, gets on stage and he's doing this event where we've now got 40-something kids all dressed as Iron Man, full masks, dressed as Iron Man. And 
they're all up on stage and Jesse's asking questions. Who's your favorite, you know, what's your favorite Iron Man costume, point to it, whatever. And we get them to start chanting, I am Iron Man, I am Iron Man. And all of a sudden a voice comes over the speaker and he goes, no, I am Iron Man. And out comes Robert Downey Jr. from behind stage. Sunglasses, leather jacket, looking friggin' bomb. And comes out and these kids lost it. They lost it. Their hero, Tony Stark, was there. And it was amazing. But can I tell you the worst part of that? Getting those kids back to their parents. They all had the same damn mask on. I'm like lifting the kids' mask. Go, you want this one? Go ahead, right. You, you right. put it down. Here. One kid's like, but that's not my mom. Okay, great. You come back over here. We'll get you to your right mom. One woman's like, I don't want it back. I'm like, no, it's all good. And one kid had sparkle. There's a video of it on YouTube. There's a kid with all sparkles. I still find sparkles every year. <laughs> There's gold and red sparkles everywhere. So um, great. Tony uh, Roberts. He's the most consummate professional you could possibly meet. Super ridiculously sweet, um, fun to be around, loves loves the fans, loves the fans. We had him there in 2007 and he was signing. He didn't want to leave. He wanted to keep signing and he signed for another hour because he wanted wow. everybody to get a signature with him. So that's great. I mean, you got Chris Hemsworth, so giving to the audience, so giving, so so much like he'll take a picture with everybody. He'll he doesn't care. You know, yeah. Chris Evans, same thing. Chris Evans, we, I think he's the number one we've had on the stage the most. It's been Chris Evans, right? He's because the people. He you don't notice it. He's just smiling and laughing the entire time, having a blast. He, they, here's the thing: they're they're acting against a green screen. They're acting in a bubble. Yeah. To go and be with the people who are paying the tickets and loving and living and making the costumes and that's their dream. I mean, who wouldn't want that as a dream? You know, when we had um, uh, Peggy Carter on stage, right? You know, so so she Peggy Carter series was mind-blowingly good. I don't know why it was canceled. I, I, no. I agrees with me that it shouldn't be canceled. Put it in the comments. It should not have been canceled. Um, but so Haley's on stage and all of a sudden 40 Haley Atwell lookalikes all dressed up as Peggy Carter come up on stage and she's crying and they're crying and I'm crying because I need them off stage and they're all crying and and it was just, it's what that's what a convention is about and that's what we're missing right now in this pandemic. Yeah. We're missing uh it. Well, I mean, we're going to, we're going to get into that uh, in a second because obviously this year's just been absolutely devastating. But I am going to say two words. I'm sorry. Can, I, you, can you send me the link? I'd love to send this link to uh, to people on my Facebook. Absolutely. Let me. Uh, I'll get that video to you. No worries. Um, I mean, what I was I was going to uh, mention, and I'm going to say two words, and I'm certain there's going to be stories. So I'm really wanting to hear what uh, you say when I when I say the words. Um, Hang on a second, let me get, I'm trying to get this link, bear with me. Yeah, okay, right, I, I think I've got the link. If I say two words to you, I want to hear a story, because I guarantee there's a whole, a, a, lot, a lot of the stories for this guy. Michael Rooker. I knew it. Who, who is Clark Gregg man. It's going to be one or the other. Um, so, uh, Rooker. <laughs> Do you guys know who Michael Rooker is? Yondu. I mean, he's from Guardians of the Galaxy. That's not him. That's not a character. That's Michael Rooker up on that screen. Um, he's playing himself. 
Um, so Michael Worker is really great friends with my cousin, Darren Passarello, who is in the convention scene and works at our booth quite a bit. Um, so that's how I got to know Michael um, very well and through his handler, Juliet Turtsev. And we, uh, I created this thing called uh, Fantasy, which is the Comic-Con cruise, the only successful Comic-Con cruise that ever happened. And we did it in 2018 out of Tampa, five days, the entire yeah. ship. No bingo, no reggae bands, Comic-Con the whole way, 2,200 people. It was great. And I said to Rooker, I need you on the ship. No, I don't do water. No, Michael, I need you on the ship. I don't do boats. Okay. But Michael, I, I, I'm asking you as my friend, I need you on the ship. Because we have the Guardians of the Galaxy and we have Walking Dead with him. And we had other people from those shows and, and movies and we wanted to do panels. All right. I'm going to get on, but I'm going to get off. And I was like, well, <laughs> maritime law doesn't allow that. So we'll talk about that once you're on the boat. He was really scared of water, but he was the best. He got on and he had a blast. So he's walking around the first day. The ship hasn't even left. And we have a, on the pool deck, everyone's in the pools, everyone's in the hot tubs, and we have a stage with tables, and we have the Walking Dead panel and then the Guardians of the Galaxy panel. And he's, I don't know if he was drunk, <laughs> probably. I don't know what he was doing. There are drinks blowing away, red cosmos flying. He's answering questions. He's like, you in the bikini in the hot tub. You ask the question. <laughs> ask question. He just loved it. He went nuts. So that next night, uh, that, ne that night he was having a blast. He's walking around looking for somewhere to eat dinner, but he was by himself. And he... Yeah. He couldn't find, he didn't know how to eat dinner by himself. So he's walking with his tray going, can I eat with anybody? And we got him to a table. We put him with some unsuspecting fans and they loved it. And he literally just had a blast sitting down eating, telling stories to somebody else. The next morning I see him at the Windjammer, which is the buffet, in pajamas and fuzzy slippers walking around going, who wants breakfast? Who's going to have breakfast with me now? Because now he realizes food is a stage. He's got a captive audience, and he's loving it. And he's hijacked. We had um, Frank Miller come on. And Frank came on and came off. He was only on while we were in port in Key West. And there was a car for Frank Miller to take him back to the airport. Michael, uh, I, why am I not surprised? That doesn't Michael, surprise me. I jacked that car and went off <laughs> and just kept going. So, uh, yeah, Rooker's, um, you never know what he's going to say when he jumps on stage. You never know what's going to come out of his mouth. Uh, he's quite um, the character. I, I I literally love him so much. He's fantastic. So that's that's amazing. So we do have a couple of uh, comments coming in. So Listerus Meg, I mean, we're obviously talking about Rooker at this point. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all, uh, and Leanne D. Um, obviously, the the, the mentioned uh, the comment that she mentioned earlier. It was Michael Rooker who Mike uh, helped me with. Mike was so great to get his uh, autographs when people were. Uh, pushing my wheelchair around. And uh, she does actually mention oh, that. Marlian, I know you. That's awesome. Absolutely. We, uh, don't screw with my freaking wheelchair people or my scooter people. We have a pit for them. We get walkways for them. Don't lean over them. If you're in the stanchions behind them and you're in the crowd and you're leaning over, do not lean over. You stink. You have bad body odor. Don't put your, elbow, your armpit in their face over their head. Stay back and respect their space. Don't Fuck with my wheelchair people. <laughs> and people have seen me. I, Caroline, I know I've seen it. I've walked off stage and said, we're not going to continue until you have respect for the people who are in yep. the front. 
day by I'm day, day myself. life and a difficult enough time getting around the crowds that the last thing they should have to do is have your armpit or your arm hitting them on the head. That's BS in my mind. So. Yeah. They, yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've seen you. I've seen you do it. I've seen you do it. Um, we've also got uh, Dan Berry asking, uh, "Did you offer Rooker a chocolate-covered pretzel?" That must be a private joke. I'm going to leave that hanging right there. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. There's a, a cheeky grin there from uh, Mike and Damien Wilkinson is saying, <laughs> "I meet Michael just walking around behind the convention center." By the harbour, very cool guy. Do you get the chance to see much of the convention, or are you? I mean, obviously the booth is your baby. You've got all the other booths as well that you are responsible for. I mean, do you do you get the chance to just check it out? I used to up until about 2010. I used to be able to walk, take an hour once a, uh, once across the weekend, and go walk to Artist Alley and stuff like that. But no, you can't. I mean, it's hard enough as a as an attendee to go to the bathroom. Sure or get lunch. I have runners to go get all of us lunch, and their only job is to get us lunch and to go to the bathroom for me. I'm like, look, I have to pee, go pee for me. Um, but uh, there's no, there's not. And then we get there you know, at 7.30 in the morning on show days, and we're leaving at like 9 o'clock, 8.39, and I eat at the same restaurant six of the nine nights I'm there. I eat the same Italian restaurant, uh, Osteria Panavino, and I've been eating there for 10 years, they treat me like family, they speak Italian. So it's great because I can speak Italian with them and not have to speak to anybody else. Um, and it gets exhausting doing the show. You know, I would love to go see the rest of the show because I hear everything's great. I hear <laughs> how great the booths are. And I'm like, thanks, I can't see them, show me pictures. Um, and the problem is there's so many people who like, hey Mike, can you grab dinner? Can you do this? Can you grab this? And my boyfriend came out, my fiance I should say, uh, we're seven years engaged, I should say fiance. Um, he came out in 2010 and 2012 and and he was like, let's go out afterwards. No, I'm going to bed, I'm exhausted. It's nine o'clock, <laughs> I can be in bed. And my team is working till midnight most nights. Cause you know how we swap out the props every night? Sure. They're doing it overnight doing that. And then in the morning we get six or seven pallets of stuff that we have to unload before everything gets opened. And we have to do tech checks and stuff. So it, this is work. I mean, yeah. let's, let's be honest. I make my living doing this. This is my job. I happen to have fun doing it. But if you were at work, let's say if you were working at a bank as a bank teller and you see a friend who comes through the line and they're doing a deposit. Oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, great. Yeah, let's catch up this week and we'll have dinner. But there's a lot of people behind them. You can't yeah. stop bullshit the whole time. It's your job. So that's my job. It's everybody else's vacation. It's my job. So. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, go on, go on. I said, if that makes any sense. I no, abso no, absolutely. But if you stop me, if you say, hey, Mike, I will absolutely stop and talk to you. I, I don't care if I'm exhausted. I will find you. I will never not talk to somebody. Because the fact that anybody remembers my name beyond my mother or my partner is a miracle. I mean... Well, I mean, I, I, you'd be surprised. Uh, because, I mean, like I say, we've got uh, uh, all sorts of people who are jumping in on the comments. And like I say, we know Michael well. He said that. Uh, I mean, you, you've, got, you've got your own little – I mean, I, do. I think I think between uh, yourself, you've got Eddie Ibrahim, obviously the big um, uh, personality up on the stage at Hall H. The, the people that, who are not necessarily the celebrities that come to the show, I mean, there are – 
icons of con there are those faces and those names that you know of and you're certainly in, the, in that pantheon there you go that's me blowing smoke up your ass for that that's fine i'm on quarantine that's the most action i'm getting <laughs> <laughs> right let's talk about that then because um it is been one hell of a year um it's just been mind-blowing for so many people to see how everything has just come to a complete crashing halt it's actually um, Sorry? It's life-altering. It's not right. just mind-blowing. So what people don't, I don't know if they recognize or it, it glosses over or they don't see the, the fine details. The conventions don't pop up overnight. I've owned my own convention. Sure. I've owned my own crews. I've worked in conventions, doing conventions on and off for 27 years. I understand the nuances of convention. For that video screen to work, there's three miles of cable that we have to do an electrical plan for and submit to a fire marshal. For every single panel of art we have, we are looking at every little pixel on that to make sure it's perfectly printed and whatever. There's a lot of work that goes into it, but you have the unions, the Teamsters, the truck drivers. All those people are affected right now by not having conventions, all of those people. You, you have all the concession workers, you have the housekeeping, all affected all the hotel workers, all the restaurants in the area, all those bike mess, uh, those bike dudes on the pedicabs, all of them, all of that is your income. That's their income is conventions and what happens in the cities around conventions, not just in San Diego, New sure. York, Emerald City, uh, Megacon, whatever, all of this, the life that's around those conventions. And then you've got people like me, which is an agency. And the only way we make money is by billing our clients for our time and our rentals if they rent stuff from us. And when there's no business, they, they don't. And thankfully. Oh, we got a bit of frozen picture there. Italian and she has an old world Italian mentality. And she's always like, save, 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 save. So we save. And I always keep a couple months worth of running everything you know, of uh, my business in the bank at all times. Sure. Um, that's getting depleted, you know? And the problem is when a convention goes away, it's really hard for these, these businesses to come back. Now that's the people to put on the show. What about the exhibitors, the, by, the 10 by 10s, the artist alleys, the, the 100 by 100 booths, all of those, the Disney's and the Marvels and the Lucasfilms and the DCs and the Warner Brothers, they'll figure it out. I'm yeah, they'll, they'll barrel on. Yeah. They'll, they'll figure it out. The smaller companies, you know, I, I work with What's Your Passion Jewelry, right? I'm part owner in What's Your Passion Jewelry. That's the jewelry they do, Marvel jewelry, Lionsgate yeah. jewelry, and stuff like that. Um, how, how do you make, you know, you still have to pay your licensing fees. It doesn't matter that you can't sell you still have to pay your licensing fees so how do you do that i mean thankfully i've got them to start saving we are actually as an agency starting to change a little bit about what we do to try to get revenue streams in is to help companies get back into this pop culture world when the world opens up nobody knew san diego was going to close no i i left the country I did C2E2 in, in Chicago. I was about to say, what was the last show that you did? C2E2. So C2E2 ran until March 1st. I left on the 29th. 
flew from Chicago to Florida, and on at eight o'clock in the morning on the first, which was the next day, I got on a cruise ship transatlantic to Spain. Yeah, eleven days at sea, land in Spain, Malaga, Malaga, whatever it is, and then over to Barcelona, and we get off in Barcelona, and we left having the best year in contracts already that we've ever had. Contracted work for the year already in February. I had my entire year contracted out. Best year I've ever had. I got off that ship. Barcelona was open for one day. The next day, all gone. We went to, we traveled down to Sidges, which is a beach resort. Everything was shut down. Everything. Oddly, nobody was going nuts for toilet paper there. They all used bidets. Um, anyway, um, but everything was shut down and then we couldn't get home and we finally got home and we hoped to God San Diego was going to happen because that's how we pay our, our bills is San Diego. I have six clients there. So that's yeah. how we make three quarters of our year and San Diego went away. And what do you do? People have mortgages. I, I bought a house. I bought a house while I was on the cruise and sold my house while I was on the cruise. And I'm now living in an apartment because my new house has to be renovated, it's a, a complete gut job, it has to go down to like the studs and the cement. I, I'm not doing that because I don't want to burn the money because I need to keep my business running. But yet I'm paying a mortgage on that and I'm paying $2,500 a month on my apartment. Granted, I live on the water, so it's a nice apartment. But you know, like I'm lucky I can do that. My partner is a surgeon, he's still working. What about the people who can't? That's really rough. So the, it, it weighs on me. I don't sleep past three o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm up at three o'clock almost every night uh, with anxiety over this because I sit there and say, um, no, Moana, I was, I was about to say, Moana, I was just about to invoke your name. I sit there and say, what about my friends like Moana who has her booth? First of all, she just released this amazing book um, that I will give you the link to. You guys, if you have children, uh, this book, she, she wrote this book. It's, um, I cannot tell you, she's Polynesian. She's from Hawaii and it okay. is, has a Polynesian flair. It's about remembering her father. Um, and uh, it's, it, she did it on Kickstarter, it was phenomenal. But I, I will put the link in if people want to do it. Yeah, I highly recommend that out. But you, you look at Moana and her husband, John, and it's like, how do they keep going when they're a 10 by 10 or a 10 by 20 booth? And that's how they get a lot of their income. But what about these artists? You know, you, you get these artists that, you know, uh, Chris Campana, you know, he, he lost his fiance and, and his newborn baby two years ago. He's just he's just getting back into the swing of things. And then his livelihood is taken out from him. He's a professional artist. He doesn't work anywhere else. So, you know, or Riley Brown, he's, if you guys don't know Riley, Riley's the best guy in the world. He's a Marvel artist, does Deadpool. You know, Riley's got two kids and a wife. How do you, you can only do so many commissions. How do yeah. we do this? We need the world to come back. So what we gotta do is, we, I believe, and I just said this actually to Marvel the other day on a call, I believe, and I'm speaking only as Mike D'Alessio. Sure. We need to look to two things. We need to look to theme parks, whether it's Disney, Universal, whatever, Six Flags, whatever. We need to look to theme parks and we look to concerts. And the reason I say we need to look to those is when they open, we need to follow how they're opening. We need to see what the spread of COVID is after a month of them being open and see, do we really hit the plateau and flatten the curve? Or are we still trying, not doing enough? Now I'm an American, I can only say American. Are we not doing enough in America? 
because I saw what was going on in Spain and they were doing enough. So well, it's, it's the same here in the UK. I mean, it's just it's it's the same drill because we're trying to work out the the the, the methodology and just I think that it's interesting to because uh, I've been talking about this to various people and the fact that the different countries are taking different approaches. It's almost like petri dishes for each different approach. But you can't so live they, in a separate dish. Yeah, you can't. Because the problem is, like, you know, what happened – so Italy is very unique, right? And and Spain to a point, too, because their peninsulas, like Spain is kind of like with Portugal, a peninsula, right? You can cut the borders off and keep your people there, and that's what Italy did. America can't do that. America, it cannot, from a commerce perspective, a business perspective, and just, a, a, and just an international perspective, we cannot do that. But we have to be smarter about what we're doing. Now, my partner is in medicine, right? Uh, he works in Jersey City, right in the hotbed of this, like wow. literally the hotbed of this right outside New York. His hospital looks at the skyline in New York and it's COVID, 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 COVID. But you know what's not happening? ER rooms, emergency rooms are empty. They're laying off the doctors and the PAs and the nurses there because there's nobody coming to the emergency room where they would normally come in for like a cold if they don't have insurance, they would come there. So what's happening is people are staying home. They're, they're, they're listening, but now they're getting frustrated and they're saying, let me out, let me out, let me out. I don't care. It's going to be survival of this herd mentality, herd immunity. We're going to beat this. You're not. You have no. to. It's basic cleanliness. Somebody was talking to me earlier today about 1918 pandemic and how, you know, it was two years. Well, yeah, true. But they didn't have hand sanitizer on everyone's keychain. They didn't have soap everywhere. They didn't take showers every day. They didn't have ed uh, education like we do, and they didn't have nutrition like mass we do. Uh, mass media and social media for information. Exactly. They went by what their grandmother was telling them. There's a very big difference. And if we just look backwards, we're never going to be able to learn how to go forward. We need to look forward. We need to figure this out. I get frustrated when I see people like, my gym should be open. Yes, your gym should be open. But it can't be through no one's fault. I, my employee, one of my employees was giving me grief the other day. It's allowed. Everyone's stressed. Give me grief. <laughs> I don't care. I'm Superman. Right, or Wonder Woman. Right there. I deflect yeah. it. Okay. But give me grief because, well, what's going to happen after eight weeks after the, the PPP plan, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with overseas. That's the paycheck protection plan that the government rolled out. It gives us eight weeks of pay up to $100,000. It gives you yeah, we've, been, we've got the furlough scheme over here. Simply the same thing. So yeah. what happens after the eight weeks? I don't have an answer. But if you look eight weeks back, I was still on my cruise having a great time thinking I was going to be doing San Diego. So you don't know what's going to happen in eight weeks. You don't know what's going to happen next week. Every day is different. So we have to stop with the bullshit gossip of saying, well, New York Comic Con's not going to happen. And Emerald City is not going to be expanded. And Megacon's not going to – okay, you know what? Go talk to Lance Fensterman over at New York Comic Con at Reed. Get it from him. Yeah. Because I talked to him. And it's up to the governor whether we're going to do it or not. It's not. Yeah. Lance wants to do it. Reed Pop wants to do it. Well, you know? I mean, yeah, two weeks ago, was it two, three weeks ago, we had uh, Mike Armstrong on. And um, same drill. Oh, they right. are absolutely planning ahead. They are barreling ahead to plan for these shows to go ahead. But it's like what you said back then in that conversation. We wouldn't know what was going to happen seven days. We wouldn't know what was going to happen 14 days. Everything is so in the air, and it is still, it's still very much um, an unknown quantity. You're absolutely right. But the thing about that is it's the gossip. 
And I've never dealt in gossip in my life. Now listen, I'm a gay man from New Jersey. I, 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 I am gossip half the time, but I don't believe in business gossip. And the yeah. thing about that is when people kept asking me, and Moana knows this, who's watching, she, she knows because I've had conversations with her about this. Um, you're welcome, Moana. Um, so we talked about when people were like, is San Diego going to happen? Is San Diego going to close? I heard San Diego was going to close. I heard that they're going to close and they weren't going to tell anybody they were going to close. They were going to do it at the last minute and try to get as much money as possible and not refund. You know what? I talked to CCI directly. I talked to the people at Marvel directly. I talked to people at Boom directly. I talked to the people who know and are making the decisions. I don't listen to what my friend who's a cosplayer said this. Tell your friend who's a cosplayer to focus on cosplay. There's plenty of time to make cosplay right now. If you want to find out the, the truth, you need to go to the source. And not everybody has that source, and I'm very lucky I have it. Absolutely. But I got the call in advance about San Diego. I knew a week in advance that it was going to be going to be gone. I was asked not to say anything. Sure. I can't say anything. You know why? You don't cause panic and you don't cause gossip. And that's the issue. So we can only hope that people are educating themselves enough on how to keep themselves healthy and safe. That's number one. At C2E2 in February, I showed up with rubber gloves and masks for my team. Because if you've ever been in our booth, they always ask, can you take my picture and give us their camera? First off, Get an iPhone if you want me to take your picture. Don't make me run this. <laughs> All right. They give me their phone. Now, I take their phone. I'm holding it. I click it. I always take a selfie also just so they know who took it. So I click it. I give it back to them. Now I'm touching somebody else's phone. So right away, I'm transmitting the virus, right, if I have the virus. Or if they had the virus, giving it to me, and I'm transmitting it to, to somebody else. So we use gloves. And people thought we were rude for using gloves. Really? The right way to use a glove is you touch something, you take it off, you use the glove, you touch something, you take it off, you touch something else, put a new pair of gloves on, touch something else. It's actually better to just use your hands and then wash them, pure all them or, or hot soap and water. The thing about it is we have to learn what that new normal is going to be at conventions. We don't know. We, I put a post out saying, don't hug me at C2E2, I'm going on a cruise, and it's not about me getting sick. I don't want to get the rest of the 6,000 people on my cruise ship sick. Um, and yes, into the blue, mister, it will go back to normal. It will take time. In that taking time, we need to figure out how do we work in the convention world as normal. Now. Well, okay. Well, that's going to be the, the next thing I was going to lead on to because um, obviously something that we're seeing for this summer, I, mean, I think we're definitely agreeing that this summer it's it's gone, it's scrapped. Um, but well, people are looking I'm for... Sorry? I'm going to be at the beach. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Yes, uh, for the convention, landscape, yeah. it's scrapped. But people are certainly looking at the ways of continuing fandom and continuing that interaction with uh, with an audience, and they're looking at virtual conventions as an option. Do you see the virtual cons making any headway into breaking that kind of um, connection to an audience, or is it just something that is it's not it's not enough? Well, well, how is your take on them? Do you want to answer politically correct or do you want me to answer honestly? Both. 
Politically correct, I think it's wonderful that people are doing it. Friends of mine, such as Bernie Bregman, have put together a convention uh, right away. He was one of the first ones out there. He asked me to get involved. I did not have the ability to get involved at that time. Um, Bernie is a phenomenal man, and he did the best effort he possibly could with putting together his virtual convention. So that's yeah. great, and I applaud him. CCI, Comic-Con International, has been trying to put together a convention, um, a virtual convention, and I applaud them, and I will help every single person at CCI in any way, shape, or form if they ask me to which they have. Now, I'm going to give you the Mike D'Alessio answer. The, the aspect of a virtual con works in theory. And I actually talked about doing a virtual con. I, I want to do what you're doing now, where I can interview all my artists at Writer and uh, yeah, Virtual Pop Expo. Thank you, yeah. Dan. Um, because I, I knew they had a different name, and then they got in trouble for the name, and I didn't want to say what that name was. We, we, um, we, had, we had them on the show. Great, 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 number one, great guy. Number two, just a great effort. Just a yeah, great effort. He's a really good buddy of mine. I, I, I love him dearly, and I look to him for an inspiration. He's an inspiration to me all the time. Now, the problem is I, I had wanted to do virtual con where I'm interviewing artists, celebrities in this, and people can chime in and ask questions. And, and I, I still think I might do that because I've got about 30 of the top artists and writers who are asking me daily, when are we going to do this? So I still, I still might do this in the next week or so. But what's missing is that the convention is what we talked about earlier. I'm in the booth. I see you. I want to come over and quick give you a hug, give, give you a hug, give Caroline a hug. Like, I, I want to be able to see Moana across the aisle at New York and high five her and get a hug and say, hey, what's going on with you in life? Because I talk to you online all the time, but now I got 20 minutes with you and I can connect with you. That connection is missing. The tactileness of seeing a cosplayer and being able to get a photo with them and see their beautiful work, that's missing. You need the human interaction. You need me on stage in a microphone screaming, if you see the red carpet, you're okay. If not, you see gray, you got to keep walking. Um, and, and Barb is right. Cons are all, especially for Barb. Barb will talk to everybody. So, sure. you know, it's one of those things that you need to make the, the interaction. My best friends, of my five best friends, four of them are people I met at conventions. Every one of my employees is somebody I met at a convention. All of my clients are people I got from meeting them at conventions. The ability to create those relationships is lessened in a virtual con. It's lessened. So Jason LeBoy, Jason LeBoy, who just commented, he came down and photographed uh, ACBC, my con in Atlantic City, put me in cosplay culture magazine, did a spread on us, which was great. I loved his work started following him, saw that some people were maybe not the nicest to him. I pissed off, and I hired him. And he's our official photographer for all of our booths, Marvel, Boom, Alex Ross, all that. Cool. And I have become such great friends with Jason, and he also invited me to see Wonder Woman early, so I was thrilled. <laughs> uh, I become such great friends with Jason, and I would never have gotten that friendship by just seeing his name on a screen like we just saw now. It's the sure. personal interaction. And that is why virtual conventions will never be able to replace what an actual convention is. Plus, I, think the, I, think, I think the virtual Pop Expo, Expo was possibly the closest we'll get because they did that whole element of um, people could drop into a virtual hall and interact with everybody who was, that was there. And there was that sense, of, there was a sense of interaction there. That was, I think that's as close as we're going to get without actually strapping VR goggles on everybody. 
Well, you know, the thing about it is, so there's a great guy, Jay Nizo. I don't know if you know Jay or not. Uh, he owns Nerdgasms out in Las Vegas. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay is one of, like, Jay's my brother. That's basically the only way to respond to, to this is Jay is somebody I, if he needed me to drive to Las Vegas tomorrow, I would get in the car and drive to Las Vegas tomorrow because he's gotten across country and driven to me when I needed him for AC Bardwarkhan. Um, I would do the same for him in a heartbeat. Jay is trying to create something right now that I don't want to reveal, but that would be a start to getting conventions back. And it's a brilliant idea, but on a very small scale. And that, to me, is the way we need to slowly dip our toe in the water. But we, to get us our whole body into cannonball into the pool, we need to look at Disney, look at Six Flags, look at Universal, look at concerts, and see what happens when you do put these people together. Now, Shanghai Disney just opened. So what are we going to see happening there? I'm, I, was like, I mean, yeah, I was going to bring it up. that the I know that we've, we're hearing about Disneyland um, opening up. I'm curious to see how that's going to work, especially uh, I believe they're wanting to do social distancing. They're wanting to kind of interact and put a lot of rules to make it work. But I, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I really am curious to see. Can I tangent? Yeah, go for it. Have you gone to Disney World lately or Disneyland lately? Not lately, no. I, oh, I mean, the, the last time I went, it was, it's manic. Uh, but you haven't done Rise of the Resistance. No. The new Star Wars right? If you are able to go, if you're in America, and right now with the social distancing, if you can get your butt to Florida or to California to go do that ride when there's not chaos around there, we had to be there at 4.30 in the morning to wait to get tickets. Go. It is worth <laughs> Bring a full body mask and a hazmat suit. It's worth it. It's the best experience I've ever been on at a, at a amusement park. Well, I mean, we're myself and Caroline, we're back in 2021. Um, and yeah, we're we're gonna go all out. Yeah, we're, def we're definitely made. we're we're gonna try and do. Um, I think we're gonna try and do everything. It's. <laughs> I think we're gonna make up for it and try and do everything. Well, if you come to Florida, I would be happy to host you and take you. I mean, I'm three hours from Disney. I'm in Fort Lauderdale, but I would happy to meet you up in Disney or have you down here. But I would happy to go do the ride with you. It's worth it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Couple of questions coming in. Uh, let's go through, uh, well, number one, uh, Into the Blue Mister, can we have a mic on every week? I would have no problem with that. I would have literally no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, but we've got, like I said, a couple of actual questions. Andrew Dickinson's asking, um, is there anything from this year that you had planned that isn't going to make it for next year? Oh, hang on. It's really making you sad. I think that's really kind of long-term question. That's a, that's a big question. Now, so there's some stuff that I can't go into, but I can say this. Almost everything we planned for this year is in talks for future. So what you have, the way I look at it is God put pause. He pressed pause and everything paused. The movies, the TV shows, the comic books, everything paused. So when he takes his finger up, pause again, we're going to be able to pick up. All that stuff still needs to get marketed. All that stuff still needs to get publicized. So whenever that pause button is released, by the big man, and it better be freaking soon, um, <laughs> needs to still be marketed. So the stuff, we had some really, really, really cool stuff planned at San Diego this year. Like, I was beyond thrilled. We were so excited um, for what we had planned, and not just with Marvel. Ouch, Ross had some amazing stuff planned. Sideshow was doing some cool stuff. Boom, we were redoing their whole movie. It was going to look great. So um, I think that 
Um, there's a lot going on. I'm actually working on also, not comic, I'm working on creating for a company, a vampire-based convention. Okay. And uh, for, for next year, for October of next year, and that so, well, is safe, to, safe to say there's a, uh, a hole in the market when it comes to the vampire-based conventions at the moment. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. So, um, but we are, we, there's some cool stuff we're doing with that as well. So, yeah, so there's things that we're doing. Uh, I'm not sad about any of it except for, I'm sad because I want to do it now. And I'm yeah. kind of, I was like, I'm the youngest kid in my family and the first half of my family. So I'm kind of used to being spoiled and wanting to do things when I want to do them. And I want to do them now. I don't want to wait. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we've got a couple of uh, comments then. Danbury virtual cons are a good alternative while real cons aren't happening. I think it's just, it's yeah, absolutely. Just to kind of keep something going. Uh, Andrew Dickinson, I still think we need first person shoot em ups in a con hall. Okay, listen, Andrew likes to throw out some interesting ideas. Will are you the yeah. guy who stabbed somebody with a pencil through the eye at Harry Potter Hall H? <laughs> I don't know. So. And we also have uh, Solicitor Smeg. Uh, this is more about CCI and what your thoughts are about actually the, the elements of uh, a Comic-Con yeah, yeah, and the, the, yeah, the exclusives. Yeah, yeah, yes, when yes. it comes to exclusives, do you think CCI and vendors should sell them through the CCI port to keep them exclusive? Yes, and here's why. When you go to do an exclusive, if the convention is buying the exclusive, so like when I had ACDC, I got the rights to do a couple of exclusive comics from Marvel, and I had to buy, I think, a 1,000 of them at a time, right? And then I have my license for Marvel, and I made all these wearables and stuff like that. If my con had faltered for any reason, didn't happen, I'm stuck with that merchandise, and I still have to pay the licensing fee on that. So I believe that if the CCI exclusives were already made, that CCI should review this, and possibly allow them to be sold on their virtual convention or online. Now, there's a caveat to that. Licensing agreements do not always allow you to do it outside of the convention. So for instance, I own part of a company called What's Your Passion Jewelry, comicbookjewelry.com, and yeah. we make amazing rings and pendants and, I mean, it's comicbookjewelry.com. So we make convention exclusives. If I wanted to go sell that on Amazon right now, where I sell stuff on Amazon, I cannot sell it there. It is against the licensing agreement for me to do that. I have to sell it at the convention. So it's up to the convention, such as CCI, to allow us to then sell it on their website. And we're in negotiations trying to make that happen. I this is a brilliant question. I really think it's a revenue stream that so many vendors need. Somebody like Moana, might have created a book that's exclusive for CCI. Why not sell it? You know I mean? Give them the opportunity and give the public the opportunity to help. Because the public, I believe, we're all tight now on money, right? In America, I think we're at like 27% unemployment. Sure. I'm unemployed. I've never been unemployed. I'm unemployed. We all are watching our P's and Q's. But I want to go buy something to support Moana, or I want to go buy something to support X person or Y person. I will go spend $100 on that because they need that $100. They need that more than I need it. And I'd love to have their, their product. So put it up CCI and let us buy it. Makes sense. And yeah, I yeah I, I agree with you 100% on that one. Uh, Jenan is on. I still have the ACBC shirt that you gave me. Jenan, I love her. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I mean, have t-shirts too. 
Well, I mean, I was going to talk about the other things that uh, people have uh, kind of are very much uh, uh, thankful to, for you for getting their hands on. I mean, we're looking at the artwork behind you, which is just amazing. But I mean, this has been my background artwork for a long time, and people can probably just about see it. It is the Avengers uh, poster that came with the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe box set, the Phase One box set. It's a Scotty Young poster. Young, and you had to buy the box set to get that poster. And we only did, I think, 200 of them. And I have 15 of them left in my warehouse. <laughs> Fantastic. And yet Caroline still talks about the Caroline still talks about the fact that it was at your booth, it was at Marvel, and the way that you did that and put it all together. Pride and joy. Pride and joy. I, I don't have it. I'm, I'm in an apartment, right? So like it's sure. crap. Um, but I don't have it here. Well, I have it at, at storage unit. That box set, I have signed by every Avenger, every single TV cast member, every producer, every writer that has ever appeared on the Marvel stage. I've gotten that signed. I will never, ever sell it. But I've had estimates of $45,000 for it. And I would never, ever sell it because that is a memento of my time in this convention world. And sure. I... The only one I had, I don't have signed on it. Uh, I have two that aren't signed on it. I don't have Gwyneth Paltrow and I don't have Scarlett Johansson. There's time. There's time. There's, There's time. time. Yeah. I um, have to be I'll get her. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about ambition. I like that. That's good. Uh, we've got ourselves, uh, like I say, a couple more, and then I think we'll we'll let you get off and enjoy the rest of your uh, your day. Bob oh, Sidewood. Uh, stories. <laughs> Mike helped my uh, BFF Amanda get Stanley's autobiography at NYCC once, and I'll never forget it. Mike is one of a kind. There you go. You see? I do remember that, actually. Stanley, let me just go into Stanley for a minute. Go for it. I, I met Stan in 96. I was working at a different agency, and we were promoting Beth Western, which is a chain of hotels here, um, and we wanted to have comic book more for kids for activi activities because Beth Western was faltering, and they wanted something for their track families. We ended up doing it with DC. Marvel didn't end up doing it. But I, I worked with Marvel on that, and I got to meet Stan a couple times, and it's a crotchety old man back then. And then I got to meet Stan again in, like, 2004, and he was much nicer. And then I got to meet Stan in 2006 when I started working with them, and... I have had a love and mm, relationship with him for many years. Um, <laughs> he did not show up at ACBC year one, and that cost me over $350,000 out of my pocket. I still have to pay that off. Um, I'm paying my loan off on that. And it was because his daughter threw a shit fit and didn't want him to leave, uh, <clears throat> JC. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, I, I was very angry with Stan, and then Stan saw me at a show and apologized to me. And I thought that was very big of him. Um, I, I didn't get money, but he apologized. Um, so but I, I have introduced him, I think it's 30-something times. I've introduced him and hosted him. Um, and I got the privilege to do the goodbye to him at New York Comic Con for his last ever appearance in the Marvel stage. And I got to say a few words to the audience about him and get him a round of applause after he had done signing. And that's a privilege I won't forget. And we did, uh, Marvel did this thing 
where it was a celebration of Stan Lee's life. And they filmed it the Monday after New York Comic Con last year. And we were tearing down the booth. We were exhausted, or the Tuesday after. We were tearing down the booth. We were exhausted. And I ran back to the hotel, changed. And I was lucky that we got invited to go to this at this theater in New York on, in Times Square. And we didn't know what was in it. Nobody does. And they had guests on stage and stuff. And they had this video montage reel. And we're sitting there and our mind is blown because we're like, wait, we built that. We built that. Wait, that's me in the background. That's me with Stan Lee. That's my employees with him. That's Stan hanging out with us. That's all of our work. And it was mind blowing to realize how much, not just did I get to know the man, and, and I got to know him personally. Like, I, yeah. I knew him. I, I mean, I knew him personally. Um, it, it was how much what we do as a, as a small marketing agency, how it impacted what he's able to do for the fans. We're just the set dressers. We're just the people who make it look great and then make the traffic work. But we give you the platform to do that. Um, and I remember when Avengers hit a billion dollars, the first movie, uh, I called up my, my contact over at Marvel and I was like, dude, congratulations. This is mind blowing. This, I can't believe we worked on this for four years. This is fantastic. And I'm like, you must be so proud. And he goes, you must be so proud. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're our number one consumer interaction is the booths and you handle that for us and you have to be so proud. And that's when I started realizing I can take some of that pride on as well that we do that. Cause we did, listen for 2K games, we did a seven content international, like basically scavenger hunt for Bioshock 2. We came in, won multiple awards for it and I was thrilled because I was an actor in it as well as running it, as well as writing part of it, as well as making the props for it and shit. And yeah, we are a part of it. We are a part of that. And Stan always made us feel a part of it. Marvel makes us feel a part of it. Our other clients make us feel a part of it. And that is, we're just marketing people. You know, I went to school for theater. I mean, like, well, I never marketing class in my life. And here I am doing this. I mean, you say that. Uh, I mean, I was particularly naughty uh, about five years ago. Uh, I, I was um, being, I'd been brought on as a volunteer staff member. So I was running one of the rooms upstairs, and that gave me a CCI badge, which had a different color code yeah. on the barcode. So on, I believe it, it was the uh, preview night or the day before, um, I went up and actually snuck in. And uh, I think security, they got confused by the badge. They didn't really know. So I, I kind of snuck in and had a look around because I wanted to see the, the mechanics of actually putting on, because you really do build a city in that space and just the the sheer amount really? of it's just insane and it's it's almost like magic the, the 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 ability to come in and create something in that space and make it very physical and very real and very solid and that's just on behalf of the team on on the team's side for yourself i mean it's just remarkable to see it happen and then when the lights go on and the stage is set, and the the, the 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 crowd comes through. It does feel like magic, and to have that that atmosphere in the room, and it's all generated by you and the team. It's just absolutely amazing. I mean, for example, I have, I mean, I have an amazing, I have an amazing team. Oh, so this yeah. this right here, Chris Grislak, um, her that's my cousin. Um, her nephew, um, nephew is my cousin Darren. Uh, so she's got it from both ends. She sees it from Darren, Pasarello, and me. We we. Darren handled Stanley. He handled Pop uh, Pow Entertainment's uh, social media for ten years. I mean, he did every single thing with with Stan. You know, when he was with Max Anderson and stuff like that. We, 
we double teamed it. It was Staten Island all over this place. You know, we 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 literally went New York, you know, Italian on everybody, and we made these things happen. You just figure out a way to do it. I mean, I had spinal surgery a year and a half ago, and I was at a show a month and a half later. I'm, I'm walking like this, you know, but, <laughs> and I've got everybody coming over and helping me out and stuff. But you have to build a city in three days. In New York, you get two days. So you have you come in and it is pure cement everywhere. And that's, so at New York, that's Monday at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Mike Armstrong calls us and says, all right, you can go in. And it's pure cement and they're just marking out your booth perimeters. And they're about to lay down the electrical tape and about to do this. And you have to have your blueprints to check everything and then it's gotta be moved because if you put the carpet down and the electrical is in the wrong spot, happens all the time, you have to yeah. pull the carpet up and redo it. And that starts and then the show goes live Thursday. It's crazy. And we get in on Monday. Most people don't get in until uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. So it's crazy what, what goes on. But I wouldn't change my life at all. I told you, my partner, you know, he's in surgery doing gunshot wounds and legs that are ripped off and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, but he saves lives and he's a real life hero. I, he came home one day and he's like, oh, this kid got run over by a train and I had to sew his leg back on. I'm like, dude, Thor's cape printed the wrong red. You know, like, <laughs> come on. And he's like, no, Mike, like, seriously, I just like, so this kid's leg back on. I'm like, I have posters with the wrong red. What, whose job was worse today? Mine. <laughs> I, I love what I do. So I think somebody told me I've been talking too long that the lights have to come on and get the hook out and pull me off. <laughs> Don't listen. I mean, I, I, I've, I've seen, I've seen you at the end of the show on a Sunday and you, it's, the energy doesn't stop from the. I haven't seen anything like it. It's just nonstop. Um, uh, Moana, the behind the scenes of a con is no joke, absolutely. Uh, and Jenan, a whole new perspective for San Diego Comic Con last year when I helped break down the booths after closing on Sunday. So here's um, something about Jenan. First off, Jen was a fan, right? And I just happened to recognize her. She's a sweet girl. Always had a hair and a ponytail. Always easy to recognize. Sweet girl, Mike, do you need anything? No, I'm good, thank you very much. Okay, oh yeah, can you get me a Coke? I'm good, I could use a Coke or a Frappuccino. she get it, and she wanted to work for us, and she, we brought her out and had her work for us a couple of days last year. Phenomenal, help break down, phenomenal. I mean, like, that's a fan who, yes, is a fan girl, but also knows how to get a job done. And that's sure. why he would be back this year if we had had the damn show, so. Well, I mean, it's certainly another name that I'm going to point at you because uh, she's a member of the team, uh, of your team, and I, I'm a massive fan of her, uh, Chelsea St. Juniors, uh, hoping that Chelsea comes back onto uh, onto the team again because she's just amazing. Well, she was still there last year. Um, she yeah. wasn't going to be coming this year, um, and it's literally because what we do is we try to rotate through people sure. um, so that we can always have some new people and then have some senior people. There, some of our senior people have moved on, like Alex, he got a job through working with us. We got him a job at Disney. He's a production assistant at Disney. Wow. And Carrie, who was a fan, who ended up working for us and still works for us, she works on every adventure movie as a PA. Now I think she's a production coordinator now. Yeah. Props and, and physical assets. So they get jobs. A lot of them get jobs in, inside the industry from it. Um, Stacy, same thing. She worked for us. She went to go work for Marvel, and then I grabbed her, and she's now working for me full time. Um, it, it's a miracle what you can do. Chelsea is somebody who just stood next to me, dressed up as Magneto, and I was like, damn, that's an awesome-looking Magneto outfit. She's like, thank you. 
And then I realized three hours later, she was still standing there. And four hours later, she was still standing. I'm like, do you have any place to go? She goes, no, I just like it here. And I was like, I like you. We became friends and I hired her. Then she fly her out from New Orleans and she works for us all the time. And we've got her interviews. We haven't found the right spot for her yet, but we got some interviews for her um, uh, that she's lined up or, or we've written letters for her to, for some film productions in Atlanta. Um, and she's one of my favorite people in the world outside of this world. And I met her because she had a white wig on dressed up as Magneto. Don't you see, it. it's just it's just the way it works, isn't it? It's just incredible the connections that you make. Mike, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, we could just carry on going. We've got another interview which is uh, coming up a little bit later yeah, on this evening. But um, let's, considering that it's taken celebrities, absolutely. I mean, like I say, we've it's taken a while to get you on. Yes, but it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. And I hope. I hope I hope you enjoyed it. I hope people enjoyed it. The thing about it is, we want the world to come back. Sure. We want the con world to come back. We miss our friends. We miss the fans. I miss walking by graffiti T-shirts and just Gina, I love you, and walking and keep going. Like we miss the hugs in the community of the people who put the shows on. That we walk by and we hug each other and be like, dude, do you need help? Like here's a vacuum. I'll come help you tear it down. Like we miss that, and then we miss the fans, and the brands miss the fans. The brands, this is their way of saying thank you. The larger brands and the other brands, this is a way of making money, and we want it to come back badly. Nobody wants it more than we do, and everybody knows what it's like to leave a convention and have con. Like I'm, I'm sad. I, not con crud. We don't want that. But they're, yeah. they're, you know, they're all like, you know, I'm, I'm having loneliness after con. We're gonna have that for a couple more months. And the best way, uh, oh, there's Ari Kathian. He's actually the owner of What's Your Passion Jewelry, ComicBookJewelry.com. Um, but you know, you, we, we all miss each other, and we miss the fans. I miss seeing you and Carolyn. I mean, there's, there's no way to say it without me tearing up. And I did that on another podcast, and I promised I wouldn't do it on this. But the world didn't change because anybody did something. No. The world changed because of biology. And we are just having to roll with it. But be nice to the fellow people who are in your fandom and your your and the con world. Be nice to everybody, first off. Be nice to the people at the grocery store and the supermarkets and the banks and the gas stations and be nice to everybody who has to work through this and deal with your crappy attitude that you have to wear a mask. So what? Every one of our heroes wears a mask, except one of them she doesn't. But, you know, enjoy it, right? But we all miss this. And the only way we're going to get back is if we are smart. So yeah. let's be smart and realize that you are not alone. And if you're depressed or sad, my Facebook is on 24 hours a day. And you can always be gone. And I'll tell you a story about Ming Na Wen or Clark Gregg or oh, we, somebody. Right. We've got to get you back, man. We've got to get you back for a part two of this. And again, this, uh, for my shirt, Tower of London. <laughs> Sorry. Got to get you back. Um, right. you. Uh, listen, so we've got a couple, like I say, just wrapping up. Rob James, I have a job that pays well beyond what I made working at Cons for Mike. But you don't do this job for money. You do it because you love it and for the interaction with the fans. And most importantly, to get a chance to work with Mike. So there you go. Not, 
He's worked in my warehouse in the middle of the summer, 90 degree days, lugging crap. He, and he, the only reason why is because he married one of my high school friends. He's, <laughs> he's back. He's, uh, but he comes and works at the shows and they're fantastic. Come see us at the shows. Bring your money. Here, last thing, parting words, Leonard, please. Spend your money on the small businesses at the shows. Spend your money. All those small 10 by 10 booths that you pass, if you know their names, look up their Facebooks, look up their Instagrams, and spend their money, spend your money on their products. Even if you're spending $10, spend your money. That said, always buy licensed products. Always buy licensed products. Always buy licensed products. But so there you go. There you go. Uh, excellent stuff. And uh, there you go. There's the, the final one from uh, Ari. We need Mike DeLesso instant pot sessions. So there oh you God. go. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, it's been a pleasure. Like I say, we've got to get you back on. It's been a, an absolute joy to have you. Uh, thank you very much indeed for coming on, man. Have a nice day, guys. Take safe. Take stay safe. Yeah. Thank you. You too. You too. Wow, excellent stuff indeed. So there you go. Um, it was a long time coming, but it was a pleasure to have him uh, joining us. That's uh, Mike Delesso. Do check his Facebook page out, and of course, go and check any uh, sort of. Uh, old memories of uh, the, the booths uh, that he's run over the years. You you sense the magic. You see exactly what he does and what he brings to the show. It's uh, an amazing thing that he does. So there you go. Looking forward to get a uh, part two of that particular one. This has been uh, a, an incidental episode. It's a drop-in. We usually broadcast on a Wednesday and a Sunday, and we do have some great guests uh, lined up for the rest of the month. Uh, but uh, as it happens... We've got two incidental episodes, and they're happening tonight. So we've spoken to Mike. The next one we're going to be having is going to be at 9 p.m. Uh, GMT, so uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, 4 p.m. Uh, sorry, uh, 1 p.m. Um, <laughs> West Coast, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 6, uh, 9 p.m. GMT. We are going to be speaking to Mike Broder, who is the um, uh, president of GalaxyCon. Uh, he's going to be coming on to talk about uh, what they're doing when it comes to the virtual convention uh, experience uh, for 2020. It really is a way of trying to fill the gap of what uh, we are missing from the convention experience uh, this year. Um, one more time, just a quick reminder of those uh, excellent guests that we've got coming up uh, later on uh, this month, Donny Cates and Megan Hutchinson tomorrow. So looking forward to talking to that wonderful couple of people, uh, especially wanting to see what Donny's hair's looking like after that uh, Marvel stream that he did last night. David Irwin's going to be joining us on Sunday, the 24th of May, talking about heavy metal and also uh, the new virus imprint on all of his stories uh, that he's got coming up. Russ Berlingame uh, from comicbook.com and Mike Avelia from Sci-Fi Wire. They're joining us next, uh, sorry, Wednesday, 27th of May. And then Sunday 31st, Robin Jones and Mark Jansen. They are going to be our guests. This has been our incidental episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much indeed to Mike for coming on. Um, that was a blast. And um, like I say, we could just carry on talking to him for absolutely hours. Um, looking forward to a part two of that episode. Join us again in a couple of hours' time for uh, that interview, GalaxyCon, uh, as an incidental episode of Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. For myself, Leonard, we'll see you in a couple of hours. Take care.